Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. In Ephesians chapter 6, by, by the way, what we're going to do is we're just going to march through Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to, uh, well, actually verse 11 to 18, in a very systematic way for, uh, to unpack core practices in spiritual warfare, beginning in verse 11, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the uh, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now, we are born into this conflict, and no one is exempt from it. Whether you believe in it or not is not the issue. You are already in the conflict. It doesn't matter whether you believe it. Uh, we were meant to be actively destroying those things that would hinder or corrupt the kingdom of God, pushing back the powers of darkness. There's no neutrality in this. We will either be trampled by maligning forces or we will be victorious, winning souls, changing society, influencing history, helping establish the kingdom of God, renewing churches, renewing people, and uh, uh, through spiritual warfare. Many believers have been hoodwinked thinking the battle is already over. Some of them, I think, have a misunderstanding of Colossians 2.15 where it says uh, he disarmed the principalities and powers, or the powers and authorities, I should say. Um, and I don't have time to go and explain it, but that, that is very simple. He's talking about what believers uh, have gained because of it. We can have our sins forgiven. That means we can have a relationship with God. It means also that because Christ died to sin, we can also die to sin, which means that we're, we're no longer slaves to sin. Uh, those types of things. And because of it, we can have eternal life and those kinds of things. So he was disarmed. He couldn't hold us any longer. But it doesn't mean that the devil isn't fighting any, uh, us anymore. Uh, however, I suspect that our biggest problem is not a theological issue, but a philosophical or a cultural issue. I think we've bought into the philosophy of our culture, and Paul warned about that in, in Colossians 2, verse 8, where he said, See to it that you, uh, that you don't buy into these philosophies these human traditions and basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. See, see, that, see to it that you're not captivated by them. And I think the culture has infiltrated the church in this area so that we don't really believe in that kind of area. I remember many years ago, I was having my ordination and the pastor, uh, a group of pastors said to me, uh, uh, Ray, if you ever encountered somebody who is demon-possessed, what would you do? Because I'd never been taught anything, I won't mention the denomination, but because I wasn't taught anything, I, I said I'd, just, I'd send them back to you. And of course they all erupted in laughter. But what, you know what was sad about it? They moved on to the next question. In other words, there was no answer. They didn't actually believe it. They thought this was something for another continent. He is active and live here. He's overt in some of those continents or countries. He works covertly here because of our belief systems. That's how he does it. And so he's working against believers. But anyway, I need to move on. Um, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's intent to destroy you, your marriage, and your children and so on, your ministries. He marks our weaknesses, whether it's lust or doubt or depression, and then he looks for opportunities to see, sow seeds of destruction. So the question is, can we really defeat 
this enemy? Can we really persevere against his relentless and tireless opposition? And the answer is yes. How? Paul tells us we can use spiritual weapons. In uh, chapter 10, verse 3 to 4 of 2 Corinthians, he said, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine what? Power to demolish strongholds. So there are many weapons. You say, how many weapons are there? There's actually many weapons for spiritual warfare. I'll name just a few of them. Doing good to our enemies, for example, silences our enemies. Is that true? It can silence it. Is that a form of spiritual warfare? Obviously, yes. Um, Repentance. He can't gain a foothold in us then, or we're released from a foothold that he had in our lives. Is that spiritual warfare? Obviously, yes. That's why we have things like the set free uh, retreat. Physically, or uh, preaching, or reacting the right way, setting captives free, fasting, you know, Isaiah 58, 6, loose the bonds of wickedness, giving, unity, signs and wonders, serving, acts of faith based on a rhema, praise, reconciliation. Uh, as Pastor Chris was uh, preaching about last weekend. Uh, Even specific one-time acts, like, for example, um, uh, Joshua and the Israelites going around the uh, city of Jericho. That's never been done before, but it was a spiritual act of uh, of, uh, of warfare. It was spiritual warfare. It is, there's almost an infinite number of ways that God can use for spiritual warfare. However, there are some things which are core and primary which you need in every situation. In some of these things that I listed, they are just specific to that particular situation. But what I'm going to be talking about, what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18, are core practices or core weapons, spiritual weapons that you use in every situation. You need this all the time. And that's why he summarizes it like that, though there are many other ones as well. And that's what we're going to talk about. He neatly summarizes them in this one. So the first one, and I've preached on on this kind of stuff before, and so we're going to cover a lot of territory in very short time, okay? Uh, So we'll talk on the uh, full armor of God for protection. You can't engage in the fight and not expect to be attacked. So this is the first core practice you gotta put on the armor because you are in a battle and you're not going to save anybody else. You know what they always say on an airplane when you're flying? If you're you're with a child, you gotta first what? You're supposed to first, uh, if, uh, if the oxygen comes down, you're supposed to put your mask on before you help the other person or the, the little child or somebody else. Isn't that right? Why? Because if you get taken out, you can't help them. Then both of you are out. Same thing in spiritual warfare. You have to put on the armor or you're going to get taken out and then you'll be of no value to anyone else. And that's why it's important. So I was uh, mentoring some pastors this last week, as I do all the time, two full days of mentoring, 10 groups that I personally mentor. There's many, many more groups than that because we've got about 755 pastors mentoring now. 
uh, at the, the latest count. But anyway, uh, one of the pastors said, I'm running our, we're running our first set free retreat this weekend, same, same weekend as the church renewal weekend. And so uh, the, the pastors in that particular uh, group, they were very excited about it. And he said, but I want prayer because everybody who's registered, we're getting so many phone calls, everybody's in trouble this week. And he said, and so am I. Do you know what the other pastors who had all run these retreats before, do you know what they all did? They all just sat there like this, smiling knowingly. Yeah, we, we know. It's all good. That's what, that's what you can expect. If you're going to advance, if you're going to help set other people free, if you're going to advance kingdom, if you're going to do anything for the kingdom at all, that's going to make uh, an eternal difference. You are coming under attack. End of sentence. If you're not, you've got to ask yourself the question if you really are advancing kingdom or not. Um, because that's, what, that's how it works. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So let's very quickly go through these five pieces that you've got to put on. The first one is the belt of truth. The more you know the truth about who you are, about who God is and how he, his ways and how he acts, the more you know about your enemy, and by the way, you have to know your enemy. You can't fight something that you don't know. The more you know your enemy and the way he works, the better the chance that you can, uh, that you can detect his lies and his maneuvers and his strategies at all times. You'll be alert to his strategies all the time. So it's important. Uh, let me just give you a very, very easy um, kind of an example. So there's a lot of people, they've, uh, because they don't, uh, they, don't, uh, read their, they don't read their Bibles. By the way, we have an elder. Uh, I won't uh, mention his name, but in 2002, he started reading the Bible regularly, every single day. He said to me, he has often said to me, Ray, that has changed me more than anything else being in the Word every single day. Um, but, and and you, you've got to have that belt of truth. So, for example, if you're, never, if, if you're just depending on what you get from the pulpit, that's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, so he, uh, one of the things, like, uh, for example, if you're, if you're watching TV and they say, and you're listening to somebody, some guy, and he says, you can, you know, you should never have to suffer as a believer or something like that. And then you, you believe that. And because you've never been reading, you, you haven't seen that it says something else or meditating. And you start to buy in that. Then when you suffer and you can't get out of that suffering, do you know what a lot of people have done? They've walked from their faith. That's, right. That's exactly what Satan's trying to do. So he comes with lies and alternate ways of belief, false doctrines. Uh, uh, Paul called it to Timothy, he, he called them doctrines of demons. Um, and that's what he does. Okay, so belt of truth is very important. Here's the second one, breastplate of righteousness. I've often talked about the fact uh, that we, get, we have imputed righteousness. Christ lived, not only did he die for our sins, but he lived our righteousness, and then he took our sins, imputed him. Uh, we imputed it to him, and then he gave us his righteousness. Is that true? But that's not what he's talking about here. This whole Ephesians thing is not talking about what he did for us at salvation. It's talking to people who are already saved. 
There's another kind of righteousness, a practical righteousness or an imparted righteousness as some theologians would call it. It's holiness or character growing in our sanctification. That's what he's talking about here. And, and, and let me show you how it works when you put it on. Uh, so that he can't take you out. So, for example, many years ago, my wife, uh, in her early 20s, uh, one day she looked at me and she said, do you know what she called me? A quitter. Dagger! Curl up and die kind of stuff, right? Oh, that hurts when somebody that loves you tells you something about yourself that you hate. And And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, well, you start a lot of things and you quit. Oh, now we could go back to set free principles and figure out all the things why, you know, why I was like that. But that's not the issue. The issue is we got to be set free from that and move on and not become a quitter. Because if you're a quitter, then the enemy comes, brings the challenges, you're out of the game. Is that true? Whoa, don't want to go there. Uh, so not in my career, I didn't after, after she said that. I didn't do it there. But then I planted a church. And the challenges started to mount, and I, I stayed in. I stayed in the game, and then one day I'd had enough. And I would mutter in, under my breath, I quit, I quit, I quit. And finally, in my heart, I quit, and eventually I was gone from the church, and the Holy Spirit led me away. Now, Lord had to work in me then a perseverance and an endurance so that I would never quit again, no matter how big the challenge is. Is that true? If that weren't true, there would be no church renewal here today. Because there's been many more challenges since then. Many of them much bigger than the ones I faced at that time. Do you know what she did? Fast forward many years later, she brought me a card. And in the card it said, this is what I admire you uh, about you. Both things she listed there. No, there was actually three. <laughs> one of the things she said in there was, one of the things I admire about you is that you never quit no matter how many challenges you face. And we had gone through this thing where she was going to die. We had teens off. Our finances were gone. I had a troubled church and all those kinds of stuff. And you never quit. I took that card. I walked to her and I said, read what you said here in this line. I said, you mean that? She said, of course I mean that. I said, do you remember what you called me in my early 20s? She said, yes, I remember what I called you. (laughs) Uh, But you're not like that anymore. That's what he means by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And we could talk about other things. We could talk about your sins. (laughs) Couldn't we? And sometimes our sins are so shameful that Satan tries to tempt us to do it. And then when we do it, then he turns around and he lays a guilt trip on us. And then we want to quit. That's what he did with Peter. Once Peter fell, denied the Lord, he quit. That's exactly what he did. That's, that's the whole point of what the enemy is trying to do. That's why you got to grow in holiness, character and stuff so that... You can persevere so that he can't take you out. Here's the, that's the second one. Third one. Feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We're not talking here about peace with God like Romans chapter 5 verse 1 or something like that. This isn't about salvation, as I said. He's talking here about the peace of God. And uh, Philippians, it's a, it's a practical peace. 
Do not be anxious about anything. Paul said, he wrote this, by the way. He wrote this when he was in prison in, in Rome. He wrote to the Philippians. He said, do not be anxious about anything. He's writing that from prison. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will what? Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And uh, that's really important. And on another occasion when he was in prison in Philippi, he spent about half his life in prison and half out of it. But in Philippi, what, was, what were he and Silas doing at midnight? Singing. Are you serious? Singing. Or as in, we would say in Mennonite language, singing. <laughs> right? Uh, remember the book of Acts? James was about to be, oh, no, James had been beheaded. Herod saw how popular it was with people that he arrested Peter and he was going to do the same with him. The night before, Peter was coming up for trial and would have been executed, no doubt. He is, he is chained between two guards. And what was he doing? Sleeping. Are you serious? Many Christians can't sleep because of anxiety and they're not going to be killed the next day. Is that true? We need peace of God. We're going to talk about how we get these in just a moment. So then the devil uh, inflames our anxieties. We, he provokes us to quit. We, we're or we're incited to control people and situations because we have no peace. And then we create even more problems, right? Here's another one. Hope I'm not missing any. Shield of faith. Paul isn't referring here to saving faith, but to walking by faith. So God gives us a promise or, um, uh, or a calling. Maybe it's a calling that's on our life. Or maybe there's a promise he made to us. And, uh, and then, you know, with, with truth... If we don't have truth, then Satan comes and deceives us with lies. In this case, he gives us, God gives us a calling or a promise, and now Satan comes with doubts about that. And we lose hope in that. And so we don't, our, our faith isn't there. Um, the night that uh, Fran discovered that she was pregnant with who would eventually become Stefan, or it was Stefan, but we hadn't named him yet, but anyway, uh, when she found she was pregnant with Stefan, we couldn't believe it. We were having a tough enough time with three uh, at that time because of school and, and uh, no money and that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, God gave her a promise and said, one day he's going to minister to thousands of people. It's interesting. He's led uh, Set Freeze now. I was thinking about it the other day. Set Freeze now. We've had way over 10,000 participants go through in that alone. And he mentors in Africa. Uh, some, you know, some pastors in, in Africa as well. And so God made that promise. But as years went by, he became a teenager. Those of you that set free, you heard his testimony. And, uh, and he turned from the Lord. And then we began to question, you know, we said, well, but we would talk about it. We'd say, what about that promise that he's going to be like that? And Satan then starts to attack the promise that has been given to you or a calling, that sort of thing. And so then one day uh, on our 29th anniversary, 2002, June 23rd, it was a Sunday morning, I was going to be preaching, 
And I was having my devotions and I was meditating out of the story where Elisha had prayed for this Shunammite woman because she didn't have a son. He prayed for her, she conceived, and she became, uh, uh, and she had a son. But then the son of promise died. And she was distraught. She said, it would have been better that I never had the son. And she lost, you know, and, and so then she called Elisha. Elisha then prayed for him, and he was revived to, uh, to life. As I was listening, as I was um, reading this and meditating, the Holy Spirit just took this Logos word and turned it into a Ramos. He spoke to me personally, and he said, that's my promise for you. And now, go tell your Shunammite wife, Fran, that I'm going to raise her son back to life. I called her, though I was going to be preaching that morning. I said, honey, you want to go for anniversary breakfast at Smitty's? So we went to Smitty's. After we ordered, I said, I have something to tell you. And she just wept. And we hung on to that promise. And uh, the Lord gave us pictures along the way, but Satan was constantly fighting. But because of those promises and and, uh, and, and, and and strengthening our faith, and I'll show you in just a minute how we put all of these on, because we did that, we, we didn't give up. In fact, Elisha had to do something about it. What did he do? When the son died, what did he do? Did he just lift, <laughs> pick him up like that? No, he prayed. We pressed in harder with prayer and fasting than we had ever before, and two years later he was saved. Uh, so he wants, to get, he wants you to quit believing the promises and the callings that you have on your life. Many times when we face challenges, we have gone back to the calling. March 18, 1980, when he called us in Chicago to ministry. And then we said, oh no, we're on the right track here. We're supposed to stay. It'll keep you in the game. Is that right? And the helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians, Paul says, it's about hope. Uh, and the, uh, and by the way, if you get out of bed, if in the morning you wake up and you feel you've lost all hope, you can't hardly get out of bed. Is that true? But when you hope, have hope, it doesn't matter how bad the challenges are. You can keep on going. So you say, well, then how do you get those five that we just talked about? Where, where do you, you know, uh, where do you get some of these things like the peace and the hope and the faith and, and joy and all, all these things? Where do, you, uh, where do you get it? Same old thing. It's a broken record. Spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation, being in the word regularly, just a steady diet of it, all the time, regularly, all the time. There is no shortcut. There's no way around. Preaching is not going to be enough for you. I'll just tell you, it's not enough. You've got to connect to, to Jesus. You know, there have been times, I, I mentioned this confluence of, of issues that have happened. There's some things I can never tell you, so sometimes I have to repeat, repeat ones that I've um, things that I've told you before, but when, when Fran's health and we thought she was going to die and the two teens were away from the Lord and occultism and all that kind of stuff and our finances sunk and the church was deeply divided and troubled at the time, there were days that I got up I could just hardly 
take one step in front of the other. There were so many problems. There was problems on every side, every single day. And that went for years. You say, well, how do you do it then? You go, you go into the presence of God in prayer, and I would, one of the things that I do, and I, I do it to this day, I quote Romans chapter 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I would say, God, right now, I don't have enough hope to keep me going. I need your hope. By the way, you cannot work up hope, joy, peace, love from God on your own. You cannot do that. It's not by just believing. You got to go into his presence. In his presence is fullness of what? Yes, that's where it is. So you've got to connect to the vine. The branches got to connect to the vine. That's where you get it. And then I would come, I would stay there until I had this hope and then I would move on again. It's life-giving, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, and then he can't take you out of the, he can't take you out of the game. There's a lot of people hanging on your peg and they're hoping that you're not going to pull out of the wall because if you pull out of the wall, they will fall. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay, let's move on to the next one here. I got to move on. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got another service yet. <laughs> Not just this first core of practices of putting in the armor, but we've got it here's, here in verse 17b. We have the second one. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. A sword can be used for offense or defense. And there's three ways in which uh, we can use uh, the word of God. There are three, three kinds. I'm, I'm going to put it that way. There's the re revelatory words. Um, and notice in that verse that we had just said, it was anarthrous uh, construction. There's no article there. A word, and the word is rhema, not logos. Logos is the word, this word. Rhema can include the logos, but it also includes any other words that God speaks to you. By the way, did you know there are many believers around the wor world that do not have a Logos word? Did you know that? Do you think that God can speak to them even if they don't have this? Yes or no? Absolutely. Many Muslims are coming to Jesus without this. Now, we want the Logos word, and you, I just talked to you about it. You know that I memorize tons of it. I spend lots of time in the word. But all I'm saying is we better not minimize, we can't minimize the rhema words that God, he speaks to us personally. Is that true? Yes. And that's what he's talking about here if we're going to fight the enemy, revelatory words from the Spirit. Paul speaks more about this elsewhere. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, to one that is given through the uh, Spirit, a message of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. To another, a message of? By, uh, by the same Spirit. And then if we go over to verse 10, he says, to another, prophecy. There's other gifts he's talking about there, but I'm talking about the speaking gifts right now, the word gifts. So it's a message of wisdom, message of knowledge, message of prophecy. All right? We talk about this, uh, these kinds of things in the Empower Minister's Retreat. The devil gains a strategic advantage over us because he fights furtively behind, uh, against us behind the scenes. And this makes it difficult to know what we're fighting against until it's too late. 
But the Spirit counters by revealing what is going on so that we can pray accurately, so that we can minister wisely, not just out of our own, you know, our own understanding and intellect, but where we can know specifically what that person is dealing with and needs, to, needs from the Spirit, and we can uh, take strategic actions like some of the things that we talked about, you know, like uh, the, the, the Lord will tell you what kind of, uh, in many cases, you may not always know what kind of spiritual weapon you should be picking up for that particular situation. But you need the sword of the spirit, which is a word from God, not just the word from God now. We were talking about that earlier a word from God that's personally spoken to you about the situation that you're fighting, okay? Um, I wanna make this intensely practical because many of you will be tempted to think this is, for, this is for pastors. It isn't. It is for pastors, but Paul is writing here to believers, not just pastors. So many, uh, many years ago, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about something that's in a family. So many years ago, we, we, grand, we, we have a granddaughter. She was two years old at the time. And she's now s turning 16, and she's serving in church renewal weekend for the first time this weekend. It's just awesome. But she was two years old. And uh, she was constantly um, bothered by what she was describing to her parents as monsters, monsters in her room. And so Fran gave her and Lance, uh, her mother, uh, Julian Lance, uh, gave, um, gave um, a piece of advice and said, you need to pray through your house and see if there's something in your house that Satan has used to gain entrance. And uh, you'll have to ask the spirit for that because they didn't have, they didn't have um, obvious objects by which the enemy could have come in. So they prayed through the house and they were listening in prayer, and they came to a photo on the wall. Do you know what the photo was? When she was born, she was critically sick, so she was in NICU for three weeks. And uh, there was a lot of worry that she, she might die at the time. And so she was hooked up to a lot of things. And they took a photo of her and they framed it because they were grateful for that. And when they came to that photo, I'm showing you how innocuous this is. See, we, we, we live in the natural and we think we see everything. We don't see everything. And so the, uh, what, what they thought was, you know, giving glory to God because he, you know, he had saved her, the enemy was mocking and laughing and saying he had had victory here because he had, of what he had done to her. They took the picture down. She went into her room and she came out two years old, and she said, no monsters. And she didn't have a problem with monsters after that. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, this is intensely practical. I could tell you so many stories on a, uh, I, I mean, uh, there have been times when I've been counseling people, and I've, I've been praying in my spirit and saying, Lord, you have to show me what's going on here. I don't understand what's happening here. And all at once, a word would come across my mind, and sometimes a thought, and I, I would know things about them that they, that they refuse to say. But then you can deal with it. You're not dealing in the natural, you're dealing in the supernatural. 
Because there's two realms here that we're talking about, the, the, the supernatural and the natural. Is that true? Um, here's another one. The Spirit told me to introduce hearing God. I'll show you how intensely practical this is, even in preventing war from the enemy. Does the, does the enemy want to split churches, yes or no? Yeah, this church experienced three of them in five years before I started. Three in five years. Um, he, he sure does. So we have to be on the lookout what he's up to. We should always be thinking like that. What's he up to? And so uh, I was going to introduce hearing, uh, you know, listening pr or hearing God, I should say. And the Holy Spirit warned me in prayer, and he said, there's two things you've got to change. First of all, don't call it listening to the Holy Spirit, because our church wasn't into the Holy Spirit at that time. So don't call it that, listening to the Holy Spirit, because if you do, you're going to be in trouble. Second, so we called it listening prayer. That's where that phrase comes from. Second thing he warned me about was, don't call it visions. If you say visions, you're going to create trouble in the church. Call it pictures. So I called it pictures. Everybody was happy with seeing pictures from God. <laughs> huh. You see, we're not just talking about taking something back. We're also talking about fighting in the heavenlies and being wise as serpents in prevention as well. That's taking up this, the sword of the Spirit with revelatory words. And Paul talks much, uh, has much to say about that in Scripture. Here's the second one. Through logos, or scripture words of the Spirit, though Paul was speaking here of rhema words in this passage, that always includes logos words, because as Peter said in 2 Peter, who wrote these words? Yeah, but specifically, who of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. He wrote these words as well. So they, he can use these as well. He uses both of them. And that's why the written word, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is so powerful. He says the word of God, there he used the word logos, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Isn't that amazing? So when the devil attacks us, we can also wield the scriptures. And Jesus did that three times. In fact, in Jesus' temptation, he used three kinds of words. He used revelatory ones um, because of something that the Father had told him he was supposed to fast and pray. So when the devil tempted him not to, he said, I can't because I'm supposed to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth, mouth of God, which had included that. And he used logos words, and he used authoritative words of rebuke. He finally said, be gone. And we're coming to that one in, and uh, we're, we're going to come to that one in just, just a second. That's okay. You can leave it up there. That's just fine. But uh, here's a question uh, that you may have. Is the only way that I can use these Logos words to fight the enemy, is the only way to do it if I memorize a verse? No. If that was the only way, then um, you wouldn't be able to use a lot of this. Is that true? Even if you memorize a lot. So I'm going, to give you a, I'm going to give you an example of something that I've used. Um, 2 Samuel 17, story. Absalom uh, led a coup against his father, King David. And David fled. And Ahithophel was da one of David's sharpest 
counselors, extremely brilliant mind, and his counsel was impeccable. Ahithophel changed sides and went over to Absalom. David knew that, and uh, Hushai the archite came to him, and he, uh, who is also a counselor, and David, uh, he said, how can I serve the king David? David said, I want you to go, and I want you to confuse the counsel of, of Ahithophel. Whatever Ahithophel says, I want you to say something opposite. So he did. Ahithophel advised David, that I mean Absalom, that he should go and attack David immediately while he was in confusion and he would overwhelm him and that'd be the end of it. Actually, that was the right counsel. But he called in Hushai the archite. You know what Hushai said? Ah, oh, I would never do that. You know that your father is like a bear with uh, cubs. And uh, he's got a good reputation. He'll fight and a few men will die and the word will spread that David's killing off everybody and everyone will flee and you'll be done. Absalom took Hushai's counsel and Ahithophel went and hung himself, thankfully. Huh? Hushai then... Hushai then sent word to Zadok and Abiathar's sons. They went and secretly told David what was going to happen and it was going to buy him more time. He said, go and gather all of Israel together. That bought David the necessary time. He could plan, he could strategize. And in the end, Absalom lost. Now, you say, what does this have to do with anything? Everything. One day as I was praying, um, as I've prayed for people, isn't it true that sometimes when you're praying for people, they're listening to the wrong people? How about your teens? Do they, do they ever listen to the wrong people? This is intensely practical. And as I've prayed for people over the years or where I've faced challenges, I realized sometimes they were listening to the wrong, they were listening to the wrong counsel. You know what I do? I pray that story. And I speak that story against the enemy and I, and I, and I, and I pray it. Confuse their counsel. Confuse the counsel of those that are counseling and whispering in their ears. I don't pray for them to be hung. Um, our denomination wouldn't allow that. But maybe yours does. No, no. We're not in a denomination. <laughs> All right. So authoritative words. So you can use that. So using Logos words, Rhema words, scriptural truths, we can resist the enemy verbally and in prayer because we're authorized to do that. And this wasn't just for Jesus. He authorized the, the 12 to do it in uh, Matthew 10, 1 and following. He authorized 72 no-name brands in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and all the way to about verse uh, 19 or something like that. Did the same, same thing there. And here in Ephesians six seventeen, Paul is not only authorized, but commanding us to do the same. He says, take up this sword of the Spirit, which is a word from God, and use it. And this can be done regarding any number of assaults from the enemy, confusion or anger, frightening dreams, discouragement, fear, evil thoughts, divisiveness, argument, or argumentation, pride, anything. And you can say something like this. Uh, by the way, this is the only thing you can say. I think it's coming up on this. Yeah, here it is. Satan, I rebuke you. You will not have my marriage, my kids, my friend, my leader. I stand against you and I bind you in the name of Jesus. Another thing that I sometimes will say is things like this. I'll say, in the name of Jesus, I come against your 
uh, strategies, your plans, and your assignments, and I cancel them in Jesus' name. Those are simple little things that you can do because you have been authorized to do that. Now, um, in the, glo- in the church of the global north, we feel uncomfortable with these kinds of things because we're not sure we quite believe this, even though scripture says it. And so we hesitate. We say, well, why doesn't God just do this? Like, why, why can't we just pray and say, God, you, do, you know, go, go rebuke the devil. You take care of that because we're not really into that. That's the same, uh, that would be the same as saying, well then, God, why don't you just evangelize the lost? We, we don't have to ever witness. Or, uh, or we'd have to ask then, why can't we simply pray that God would encourage people without personally doing it? Or why doesn't God, as Chris was uh, preaching so well on, the, on reconciliation, why doesn't God just reconcile us? Why do we have to go and do that messy work? Why can't we just pray and then it's reconciled? He should do it. No, he says, you go do it. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, This is part of what it means to be human, and God has called us to participate in in warfare. True? The answer is, tick the box. It's yes. All right. So, first category, put on the armor. Second category, pick up a sword of a spirit, which is... Word from God. Second one, or third, third key one. We're talking about core practices here that are always needed, no matter what you are doing. And the third one is prayer. Pray at all times. He says praying at all times. That's a participle there. In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It, it, prayer is the most life-giving activity that you can imagine. That's why we're talking about it in putting on the armor. That's it, it really is. And um, uh, it, 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 when you experience it like that, it changes prayer from something that you have to endure to something that you crave like water and air and a good pizza. Uh-huh. It becomes mingled in everything you do. You have to have it. But not only is prayer life-giving, it's life-altering. Uh, we see that this is an, a participle here, praying at all times, and it refers back to the putting on of the armor and taking up the sword of the Spirit, a word from God. This concerns what we are doing in the heavenlies, in the spiritual, in the spirit world. And these things that you're doing in the spirit world are combined with the actions which you do in the natural world. It's a both and, it's not an either or. We sometimes get caught in the tyranny of the either or, right? We just do, want to do the, the, you know, just the spiritual realm or just in the natural realm. We have to emphasize both of them. I don't know what percentage. I was telling the MP, I, I tell the MPLs this, uh, from time to time. I don't know how, what the percentage is, but I bet about 80% of what happens in my prayer times ends up with action but not action apart from. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, They have to go. You cannot win on the ground what you don't win in the heavenlies. Generally speaking, you cannot win on the ground what you... It's like modern warfare. First they go in with air power. Is that true? And then uh, they come in with the ground troops. Very similar. 
So as we do, as we pray, powerful forces are unleashed against our adversary in several ways, by us using a spirit-empowered word of rebuke, or by us in carrying out spirit-directed actions, angelic help may be dispatched from God, or God may, you know, using his spirit, may just manipulate some circumstances, or it could be a combination of those four or all of the above, and there may be other ones as well, but that's some of the ways. But no matter how, prayer is the cause behind it all. And let's be, but I, I want to be clear about what the sword of the spirit and, and prayer are accomplishing, and so we're going to end with a story about Peter. Now, you remember at the last, at the last Supper, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not, what? Fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. I've used uh, different colors because, so, so I can talk about the different phrases there, just a, a little bit along, and then you can follow me along. We get a hint of what Satan's goal in all of this was from what Jesus said. He had already prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. Satan was aiming at the faith of a future church leader because Jesus had already said, you are, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He said that in Matthew 16. So Satan knew that and he wanted to take him out. And... Uh, and so uh, Jesus predicted that Peter would fail the test. Take a look what he says. I've prayed that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, he predicted he would fall. Not ultimately fail, he wouldn't lose his faith, but he was going to fail the test. And he predicted it. Now, sometimes God will tell you, I mean, you know, sometimes you don't know why, why you're going through a trial, like Job. Uh, you, you may not even know it afterward. Sometimes you know it in the middle of it, as Paul, when he had his messenger from Satan to torment him, a thorn in the flesh, that was in the middle when he, when he found out. This time, Jesus told him before it happened. And he still failed, which is amazing, eh? But Peter, brimming with self-confidence, boasted in the next verse, which I won't put up, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. <laughs> yeah, right. We know what happened just hours later, don't we? And um, he was brash, arrogant, full of himself. He always knew better. But notice something Jesus didn't do. Well, to highlight it, let's go to a previous episode with Peter. Matthew 16, that I was referring to. He just said, Peter, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church. But right after that, Jesus said that Christ must suffer and on the third day be raised to life. Do you know what Peter says? That will never happen to you, Lord. <laughs> he always knew better, didn't he? <laughs> always knew better. But do you know what Jesus did in that case? He looked at him and he said, get behind me, Satan, and he rebuked the devil. Guess what he doesn't do in this episode, he did not rebuke the devil. Do you know why? Because the devil already had permission to do what he was doing. Peter, uh, Jesus didn't rebuke the devil in this case. In this case, he prayed for him that the goals of the devil wouldn't happen, which was to take him completely out. I've prayed for you that this won't happen. But he was going to allow Peter 
to, and he used the devil as a tool to allow Peter to fail in such a way that Peter would finally see who he was. Everybody else could see it, but Peter couldn't see it. And so God allowed the devil to do that, and Peter failed so miserably that when he denied Jesus three times, and Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, by the, when, when the cock, cock crows, you, you're going to deny me three times. And when it did, Peter was just stunned at what he had done. It says in Luke 22 that he went out and wept bitterly. And he finally saw who he was. In fact, he saw who he was so much so that he left ministry and went back to fishing. We find him in John 21. He's gone back to commercial fishing. He realizes that he's not worthy. Jesus, however, he knew. He knew all this was going to happen. He said, when you turn back, go and strengthen your brothers. Jesus, so when Jesus rose, went looking for him, found him on the shores of Galilee, and he comes to Peter And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? By the way, that's an appropriate question to ask from somebody who's just denied you three times in public. If you denied your spouse in public, wouldn't that be appropriate to ask? Do you love me? And he asked him that. Jesus said, yeah. I mean, Peter said, yes, Lord. And Jesus restored and reinstated him. Just like he had been praying. What the devil had intended for evil, God turned it into something brilliant. And guess what? Here's the irony. This self-confident guy that never needed Jesus or anything about God because he always knew better, guess who is selected to preach the Pentecost sermon on the Holy Spirit? Peter. Is that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. So when you are praying and rebuking devils, just remember this. You're not, you're not always going to be able to rebuke and pray devils away from touching you. No, 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 no. What you're praying is against their goals, which is to take people out and to thwart the kingdom from advancing. These are the core practices you always have to put on the armor. You always have to take up the word, uh, the sword of the spirit, which is a word word from God, so that you can properly fight in the heavenly realms because you don't know what's going on. You just see in the natural. You've got to be able to see in the supernatural because that's what's controlling it. And third, you've got to be in prayer, those three things. And then out of that, the Holy Spirit will direct you And he will show you how to pick up some of those other pieces for specific situations and fight in those areas as well. All right? Make sense? Tonight is Prayer Prayer Summit. Why don't you come out and let's war together. In fact, we're going to have some exercises in that. All right? Let's war together. Does that sound like a good idea? If you need prayer... Today, there's a prayer room just out those double doors. There's teams of intercessors, well-trained, who are ready to pray with you. Lord, thank you for exhorting us and encouraging us, for outlining for us what, what it is that we need to fight in this battle that we are already in. We choose to engage with you 
in holy warfare. In Jesus' name, amen.